Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. Today, our guest is Dr. Craig Gimbel, who has had a private dental practice for 27 years until 2005 when he came down with spondyloarthritis and had to sell his practice. Craig then became a clinical instructor at New York University College of Dentistry. He later held a position as assistant clinical and research professor at Stony Brook University School of Dental Medicine. Dr. Gimbel was also a member of the FDA Dental Diagnostic Device Panel and established the first East Coast support group for Spondylitis Association of America in New Jersey. He previously held the position as SAA board chair for two terms and has been a member of the board ever since. In 2010, Craig published an original paper on ankylosing spondylitis and dentistry in Spondylitis Plus. And he is also my fellow board member, and I am thrilled to welcome you, Dr. Gimbel. How are you today? Thank you, Jill. It's a pleasure being with you and everyone else today. So we're going to talk a little bit about dentistry and spondyloarthritis, which I'm very excited to get uh, get this chance with you. And, and I want to ask you, how has your personal experience with spondyloarthritis influenced your perspective and approach as a dentist? I'll be presenting today from both sides of the dental chair, as you would say. <laughs> the presentation is for the patient and the dental professional, that is being the dentist, the hygienist, or the dental assistant. Uh, back in 2005, I came down with SPA after 27 years of practice. I unfortunately had to change my ways of treating the patient at first, alternating between four-handed dentistry as used today, the standing up every so often because of the extreme SI joint pain I had. I understand what a patient with spondylitis would go through sitting in the dental chair as well. That being the medical, the dental, and the pharmacology of it and the need of the patient. What I want to be careful about is tell you about the challenges as they exist so thank you for that. And I love the both sides of the dental chair. Uh, in your experience, is, are there oral health issues or dental complications that are commonly associated with people living with spa? Yes. Uh, your visit to the dentist is important to the health of the rest of the body, not just your teeth and gums. It's important to be aware of the effects of spondylitis on the health of the mouth, as well as the head and neck areas. At your initial dental appointment, it's important to discuss your health history with your dental professional. For example, though ankylosing spondylitis primarily affects the axial spine, other axial parts of the body may be involved as well, including the mouth. There are secondary effects of drug therapy that may cause dry mouth, infection, or jawbone degeneration. Secondary osteoporosis can even affect the jawbone and the joint that allows movement of the mandible. Correlations have been found between poor oral health and systemic disease. For example, there is a link between gum disease and cardiovascular disease and respiratory illness. The body's impaired autoimmune defenses compromise the inflammatory response of oral infection. 
Be aware that spondylarthritis is one of the possible factors that can lead to temporal mandibular joint dysfunction, which includes clicking and impaired mouth opening. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, mouthful. It is a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, so do patients with SPA often present specific dental challenges compared to the general population? Yeah, there's quite a number. For example, osteoporosis, secondary osteoporosis and brittle bone due to spondylarthritis have an effect on the mouth and surrounding joints. Even the jawbone holding the teeth in position can be affected. Osteoporosis causes osteoclastic bone remodeling and poor bone quality leading to loss of teeth, temporal mandibular jaw joint problems, which you call as TMJ, or even mandible fractures. Depending on the degree of osteoporosis activity, rheumatologists and other physicians may prescribe a class of drugs known as bisphosphonates, which prevent bone deterioration. These include Fosamax, Actinel, Boniva, and Reclast. Even an oral dose of these drugs runs the remote risk of causing an exposed, unhealing crumbling of the bone, osteonecrosis, at the surgical site following the removal of a tooth or any bone recontouring procedure. It is extremely important that you advise your dental professional of your use this drug regimen at the time of taking the medical history. A January 2009 article from the University of Southern California published that estimates osteonecrosis risk from oral bisphosphonates at 4%. The American Dental Association Council on Scientific Affairs published an advisory statement concluding that the risk to be fewer than 10% of all patients taking orally administered bisphosphonate drugs. It behooves one on bisphosphonates to practice meticulous home oral hygiene and visit their dentist for periodic exams and cleanings every six months or, or sooner, that being even three months. Presuming in natural detention promotes better nutrition. Most Americans do not consume the recommended level of calcium. Supplementation with calcium and vitamin D is necessary to achieve and maintain peak bone mass along with weight-bearing exercise to prevent osteoporosis. There is no scientific evidence in the literature to support this continuing bisphosphonates therapy for dental treatment in order to improve treatment outcomes. Still, alternative dental treatment, which does not include invasive oral surgery or extensive bone remodeling for implant placement, may place you at risk. Consult with your dentist and physician to determine the best way to manage your treatment. This would include determination of bone mineral density degree of risk of spine and hip fractures, and duration of bisphosphonate therapy. Wow. So from the dental perspective, are there... Think, yeah. There are actually other problems that can occur. Uh, if you have time here, we can go on to that. Yeah. Let's talk about those. Okay. There's what they call secondary Sulgrim syndrome. Spondylitis may cause secondary Sjogren's syndrome, an autoimmune connective tissue disorder. It is characterized by inflammation of the exocrine glands whose ducts ultimately open into the external surface of the body. That leads to the secretory hyperfunction and dryness of the mucosal surfaces, dry mouth, most commonly of the eyes and mouth. 
a large majority with this disorder experiencing salivary gland dysfunction, which can cause various oral symptoms and ultimately compromise dental health. This syndrome is the second most autoimmune, common autoimmune rheumatic disorder. The two forms combined, primary and secondary, have been estimated to affect up to 1% of the U.S. population. The most frequent manifestation is dry mouth, called xerostomia. Swollen parotid salivary glands, they're on each side of your cheek, may occur concurrently. In severe cases, ulceration and fungal infections of the mucosal linings of the mouth can occur. Dry mouth ultimately can cause severe tooth decay and gum disease. Saliva, constant flow, and natural buffering pH capacity helps to prevent decay of the teeth and gum disease. Saliva contains calcium and phosphate ions that are responsible for remineralizing the enamel. This protects the enamel surface from the destruction of acid-forming bacteria in the mouth. A dry mouth creates an oral environment for gum diseases as well. Difficulty with eating, swallowing, and speaking may occur. Patients with secondary Sogram syndrome should see the dentist more often in order to prevent severe tooth decay or gum disease. A strict regimen of home oral hygiene is an excellent preventive measure. A large percentage of decay due to dry mouth is at the gum line. The enamel is thinner there, and without salivary flail to flush the gum sulcus, which surrounds each tooth, decay and gum disease occur. Salivary replacement therapy for dry mouth symptoms are available either by a prescription or in the form of over-the-counter mouthwashes, toothpaste and sugar-free lozenges, and gum-containing xylitol, such as the biotin products, which are excellent. With the guidance of your dental professional, fluoride therapy, which would be Prevident 5000 prescription, fluoride toothpaste can protect the teeth against the ravages of decay. Oral lubricants such as vitamin E can be effective in soothing irritated tissue in the lining of the mouth, the mucosa of the mouth. Also want to talk about the possibilities of gum disease, periodontal disease. Proper oral hygiene is especially important for those with spondylarthritis. A recent study in patients with ankylosing spondylitis shows that patients with AS have a significantly higher risk of periodontal gum disease. Autoimmune-mediated chronic inflammatory disorders such as rheumatoid arthritis and inflammatory bowel disease such as Crohn's disease have also been found to be associated with periodontal disease. Although extensive epidemiological evidence exists, the biological basis for the remains unclear. Periodontal disease is a bacterial infection caused by pathogens in the plaque covering the teeth. There exists emerging evidence that the oral pathogens, Porphyromonas genivalis, may be served to break immune tolerance or imply the autoimmune response, resulting in inflammatory tissue destruction. Periodontal disease is the most common chronic inflammatory disease in humans. A network of innate and acquired immunity, inflammation, wound healing, and bone tissue turnover play important roles in the ultimate outcome. Research suggests the increase of pro-inflammatory cytokine tumor necrosis factor, TNF-alpha, is a factor. 
Research is pointing towards the oral cavity as a major battleground and source for other systemic diseases, including those that are immune-mediated. A regimen of good oral hygiene at home, professional cleanings of dental plaque at your dentist, and regular dental exams are important to potentially prevent the medically comorbidity of spondylitis. Close collaboration between the rheumatologist, periodontist, and dental hygienist is necessary for control. I also want to talk about cardiovascular disease risk with spondyloarthritis. Atherosclerosis is a major risk factor for cardiovascular disease. It has been demonstrated to have a strong inflammatory component. In the NHANES 1 and 3 population studies, it was found to be a strong positive association between periodontal gum disease and stroke. Some of the bacteria found in dental plaque enter the bloodstream during episodes of high bacteria, the result of infection with microorganisms interacting with the host's immune and inflammatory response contributes to high levels of inflammatory protein mediators called cytokines and C-reactive proteins known as CRP. Cytokines are released by blood cells called macrophages during the process of bacterial instruction. TNF-alpha is an example of a cytokine. They are necessary to signal the immune cells, which results in the inflammatory response. If the initial inflammatory response fails to resolve the infection, chronic inflammatory inflammation occurs, which is responsible for soft tissue and underlying bone destruction of gum disease, known as periodontitis. During the chronic inflammatory phase, the liver releases the C-reactive proteins. This has been shown to induce blood cell platelet aggregation, typical atheroma formation, hardening of the arteries, and thrombosis. Similarly, there exists a clinical relevance of CRP and axial involvement ankylosing spondylitis due to inflammation of the joints. CRP is an indicator of disease activity and chronic inflammation. According to medical literature, those affected by spondyloarthritis have a multiplier risk of 1.5 for cardiovascular disease. The CRP risk for cardiovascular disease is increased when periodontitis and AS exist concurrently. Therefore, it's important to maintain proper oral hygiene under the direction of your dental professional. Lastly, I want to talk about uh, temporal mandibular joint dysfunction, TMJ. TMJ is the bilateral joint of the lower jaw, the mandible, which enables initial rotational movement of the jaw followed by translational movement as the jaw opens widely. Pain and dysfunction of the TMJ is referred as temporomandibular joint dysfunction, which is commonly felt and heard as a clicking or popping. Inflammation and pain can occur when displacement of the fibrocartilaginous disc between the disc capsule bone is displaced and compression of the bones, arteries, veins, and nerves occur. Arthritis is a common condition affecting the TMJ. Degenerative and rheumatoid arthritis are the most frequently encountered. Cases of spondylitis-related TMJ disorders have been reported. Some limit movement of those joints occur in 10% of those affected with AS. In long-standing AS, the incidence may increase to as much as 30 to 40%. Conservative and non-invasive treatments of the temporal joint are endorsed for initial care. 
the majority of those with TMD achieve good relief of symptoms and cons with conservative treatment. Good oral hygiene and decay prevention is important as this prevents tooth loss. Tooth movements or tooth loss due to gum disease or tooth decay can alter the bite, which is called occlusion, leading to further degeneration of the joint components. Clenching the teeth can further aggregate this condition as well. So Dr. Gimbel, from a dental perspective, are there any preventative measures or oral care, care practices you'd recommend for people living with SPA? Oh, sure, Jill. Uh, I'd like to, in my practice to use uh, 0.5 sodium fluoride. Uh, there's a product out there called ACT, A-C-T, Maltrans. It comes in different flavors. You're probably all familiar with it. Um, also like for um, dry mouth or xerostomia, uh, the Biotene products, B-I-O-T-E-N-E. -E. And I also like when it's needed, uh, not only for tooth decay, gum disease, but also for dry mouth, uh, the Prevident 5000 toothpaste, which is a prescription fluoride. Nice. You sound a lot like my dental hygienist who I saw okay. last week. <laughs> you should have told me, to, told me to be a hygienist from the beginning. Would have been um, okay. So in terms of medications, people are on varying medications for spondylarthritis. Uh, how are some of those, uh, those medications used in the treatment of spot impacting oral health? Are there any well, there are many different uh, medications out there. First of all, there are four types. Um, you have the uh, biologicals, um, which are the TNF alpha blockers, which are the Embril, Umera, Remicade, and Symphony. You have the IL-17 inhibitors, such as Cosentix. You have the JAK inhibitors, which are the Rinvolk and Celgans. And then you also have the other uh, types of medications, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs that uh, the rheumatologist may put you on first, which you call the NSAIDs, the naproxen, the ibuprofen, and the indomethacin. And then you have the, uh, the steroids, the uh, prednisones, which is corticosteroids. And um, you also have the disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, which is the methotrexate, the sulfadiazines, the cyclosporins. They're all known as the DMODs. And the effects of these drugs mediate the immune system, such as the TNF alpha blockers. And they can increase the risk of serious infection compared to the general population, according to uh, many clinical studies. Accordingly, it is recommended that these drugs not be started in someone who has an active dental infection. It may be best to avoid these drugs with serious recurrent or chronic infections. Great, so on the flip side, are there any uh, specific dental treatments or procedures that might interact with spa medications? Oh yeah, sure. The TNF blockers should be temporarily discontinued when a serious dental infection develops or when antibiotics are required to treat an infection. With minor infections at the description of your medical professional, TNF therapy may be continued because the benefits 
may outweigh the risks of temporarily stopping it. Interesting. Okay. Good advice. I, and my next question, you've, you've covered a bit, but what advice would you give to patients taking biologics or NSAIDs uh, when they're considering dental work? Well, with elective surgery, such as surgical gum treatment or implant placement, there are no recommendations from the drug companies as to whether or not to temporarily stop the treatment, as there are limited and conflicting data on the effect of TNF blockers on surgical outcomes. Therefore, consult your dental or medical professional as to their recommendations. Ask the doc. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And and not Dr. Google. Um, This next one is interesting. And we've talked about this a lot, like in the last couple of years, you and I, and just in general in the board um, boardroom, patient positioning. How important is it, especially for people with spinal issues when it comes to being treated by a dentist? Well, being a dentist and uh, someone with spinal arthritis, I most certainly understood what it would be like to sit in that chair. Spinal arthritis being an axial and peripheral joint disease has an effect on the posture and positioning of the head, neck, and the rest of the body while sitting in the dental chair. Cervical spine stiffness or deformities may make it uncomfortable or even painful. I've felt that to sit in the dental chair for extended periods of time. If inflammation of the coastal vertebral joints of the chest wall occurs, limitations of chest expansion could result. Extra articular manifestations as well include fibrosis of the lungs. This would force an individual to maintain respiration by a labored diaphragmatic movement, making it more difficult to sit still in the chair. Cervical spine involvement may range from slight limitation of neck movement to complete fusion, usually in flexion or bending of the neck. Fatigue is common among people with ankylosing spondylitis. I can feel it now. (laughs) It is associated (laughs) with inflammation and pain in many cases. Your dentist should be made aware of these difficulties at the time of appointment scheduling. There may be a need for shorter appointments, of course, or making your dentist or hygienist aware that you must be accommodated with alternating periods of sitting in the dental chair interrupted by position changes or standing in order to alleviate the stiffness and your pain. Just raise your hand when this occurs. These requests can be accommodated, of course, very easily and will make your visit more comfortable. Positioning of the head during a dental visit is important as well so that there will be proper support and minimal movement. And this is very, very important. Many dental procedures require pressure or vibration that you know. (laughs) They range from the use of a dental drill or scaling instrument to that of an extraction surgical instrument that places pressure and subluxation movement, which is side to side movement on the jaw, head and neck areas. For oral oral hygiene 
and surgical procedures, the preoperative workup should include evaluation. And this includes for surgery, cervical bone erosion, and ankylosis. In 21% of those with ankylosing spondylitis, erosion of the odontoid process, that's the projection from the second vertebra of the neck around which the first vertebra rotates, and transverse ligaments, which allows joint flexion, occur, which could lead to anterior subluxation or rotation and displacement of the cervical spine. This is associated with possible morbidity. In such cases, symptoms of occipital pain and tingling can occur due to decrease of spinal cord compression. This is the more common in those patients with peripheral joint involvement. Now, caution must, caution must also be taken to determine if vertebral fracture occurs at levels of C5 to C6 or C6 to C7. Failure to detect fractures could lead to complications during surgery. Extremes of neck extension and flexion should be avoided during positioning of the head and oral cavity as they can lead to spinal cord compression. The risk of subluxation movement is especially dangerous during general anesthesia procedures when neck movements are severely restricted and mouth opening is limited due to temporal mandibular joint dysfunction. In these cases, fiber optic guided awake nasal intubation should be considered. And lastly, placement of a soft cervical collar is a visual reminder of an unstable spine, but does not provide any support in these instances when it's seen. And lastly, I want to talk about, uh, we talked about the vibration of a dental drill. Since 1990, I was the leader in use of lasers in dentistry, including I was a principal um, in the development of the laser, the Erbium Yeg laser for tooth cavity preparation. Now with that, you don't need any anesthesia in most cases and there's no vibration and there's no sound. So it's amazing. So possibly you want to seek out a dentist that has hard tissue lasers in their dental practice. It was, it was amazing. You know, I, I used it right until the end when I closed my practice in, in 2005. That's fascinating. I guess I really hadn't thought about the vibration being a, a problem. Um, so that's what causes the, 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 a lot of the pain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. And uh, so in general, the, thank you for that. Cause I think we don't realize sometimes I think as the patient or the provider that uh, there's so much involved in treating a patient or being even just being a patient to be also aware. just right. Just, just being a patient and just being a dentist, but to be a dentist and have the understanding of uh, spondylarthritis is uh, <laughs> possibly the dentist you want to seek out if they have that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so in terms of uh, you talked about a few products uh, for oral oral hygiene, but is there anything you would recommend or caution against for people with spondyloarthritis in terms of yeah, product use? Sure. Caution must also be taken 
to determine if vertebral fracture occurs at C5 to C6 or C6 to C7. Failure to detect those fractures could lead to possible complication during surgery. So extremes of neck extension and flexion should be avoided during positioning of the head and oral cavity as they could lead to uh, a spinal cord compression here. Huh. And then in terms of kind of shifting it, so it, when we're all at the grocery store or getting our stuff from uh, Target uh, for our oral hygiene, what products do you recommend specifically or caution people against that have spa? Against? Uh, not many. Actually, uh, I just don't like... Uh, Alcohol, I like alcohol-free type of mouth rinses because with the alcohol, it can cause dryness of the mouth. So that's why I mentioned the ACK product, which has only 0.05 sodium fluoride and has no alcohol. And I also like the biotine uh, dry mouth products. So I'm only against alcohol. Okay. Um, in terms of going to the dentist, how often should someone with SPA see a dentist, especially if they're on an immunosuppressive treatment? I would say three to six months, three months is better. Uh, yeah. So the hygienist can stay on top of things uh, that are occurring in the mouth and also remove the plaque, which causes these problems. Yeah, I, I had never thought of it that way. And I know when I got diagnosed, my dentist had me come every four months for a few years till things really started to stabilize. Right. So, so there's a definite reason there. Sure. Yeah. And it made a difference. I will definitely say. And yes, you had less <laughs> problems. You had less problems. Yeah. I, I actually think since I was or no problem diagnosed, I don't think I've had anything significant. Right. And before that it was a mess. I, I, right. I used to say like when I looked so in my dentist's so eyes, I got everything under control. Sure. Yeah. That's in. And, and I, it, it was decades of that. And when I I, I sometimes say that when I looked into my dentist's eyes, all all I saw was all I saw reflecting was dollar signs. Because right. I'd so come in was, and be like, right. so, "So don't wait till major problems. And no, won't be won't be big dollar signs. No, it, right. and I used to go every six months, and then when right. I tapered it back um, to three or four, I think it was four months. Minor tooth decay can cause uh, root canal therapy. So, uh, uh huh, and yeah to loss of a tooth, to a possible implant or bridge. So Ugh. there's dollar signs there. So yeah. Don't, don't wait. Good advice. Uh, okay. So as we wrap up here, what is the main piece of advice or things you want to share with listeners, whether they're a dental professional or a patient about the intersection of dentistry and spondyloarthritis? So, as an educated partner in your medical and dental care, making your dental professional fully aware of what spondyloarthritis is and providing a complete medical and drug history provides information, which is important for your treatment and overall health. It's important to practice meticulous oral home care, of course, and continue to visit your dental professional just as you would your rheumatologist. Oral health is a constituent of systemic care and health. We are beginning to understand more and more the links between poor oral health and other diseases of the body. 
It must be emphasized that spondylarthritis has the possibility to predispose patients to oral infections. And once infection is established, it can exacerbate other systemic problems. So yeah. with that said, you go ahead and make sure that you uh, seek out a dentist that's understanding that, and uh, you'll, the dentist will then be able to tell the, that there is a connection between dentistry and medicine and medicine and the, the actual rheumatologist and spinal arthritis. I love it. So what you're saying is only floss the teeth you want to keep. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we, we always used to hear. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love that one. Uh, this has been really helpful and informative. Uh, and I'm glad we got to do it. Uh, I know we've, you and I have been talking about it for months. So uh, any other words of wisdom? As I, I throw hope, you into I hope, the- hope, to, hope there's information here. And I, I know there is both to the, the patient of, that has spinal arthritis and to the, uh, the professional, the dentist, the hygienist, or the uh, dental assistant. And for the rheumatologist as well. Yeah. There's, there's a complete connection or a continuum between dentistry and the rest of your body. Yes. I want to thank you for taking the time oh, today. My, my pleasure, Jill. Yeah. And beyond today, uh, aside from today, for all of your work in this community and your commitment to, to making it a little easier to live with this disease. Yeah, um, it actually... It actually all started when I came down with spinal arthritis. I then formed the first um, support group here back east in New Jersey, which led to then going uh, onto the board of the Spinal Asso Association of America and continuing there since then. Uh, it's yeah. been a pleasure. Yeah, it's great work. To help Thank everyone. You. All right. That's a wrap on today. I'm going to go right. brush my teeth now. <laughs> <laughs> Spondycast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.